The Bible calls us to be a light to the world. Am I right? We, we read it in Scripture. Thank you. I don't need to put it up. But um, have you ever sat next to a flickering lamp and tried to read? I probably last about 10 seconds and I pull the plug because there's nothing worse. Either the lamp must work or it mustn't work. Okay? Sharing what you believe should be the same thing. You must either know, and it's a solid light, because if it flickers, people are going to switch off to you. All right. So I just want to I I leave you with that. So it's not often Lindsay and I get to chat a lot about stuff. Well, certainly what I preach or what I teach. But Tuesday, we chatted lots afterwards, and Wednesday morning, we chatted lots. And in fact, I was going to share another message this morning, but because we chatted so much, and on, Saturday, on Wednesday morning, she was like, ah, you need to. So that's how this message. So I've pulled something a little bit out of Tuesday night. So for those of you that were there, it's a bit of a repeat, but I want to focus on something today and come in with a, a slightly different angle. So bear with me if you were here. Um, and it's really just simply this aspect, the law. Just the law. And um, depending on which devotionals you read and which videos you watch and so forth, you might even hear today, it's said quite, quite often, um, we preach about the grace of God, the goodness of God, but very little about the judgment of God. And nobody really wants to hear about the judgment of God because it's quite oppressive, isn't it? Like we want to we wanna hear about the good things. So today is the day where I've got to speak a little bit about the wrath of God and the judgment of God. Okay, because there's a, and I use this word often, there's a tension between the two. We can't escape the wrath of God. We can. But we can't look at the goodness of God without looking at the wrath of God. Because the one needs to keep the other one alive. All right. So, um, God calls us to holiness, doesn't he? The Bible is peppered with scriptures. Most of the New Testament is a challenge. It's a reminder, like a, a constant encouragement to do what? To die to self. To put to death your old nature. To pick up your cross daily. To become a new creature in Christ. To get rid of the old and embrace the new. Am I right? Many, many scriptures. You've heard the scriptures, you've heard the scriptures say that. And so the scriptures are encouraging us to become Christ-like as we grow. Isn't that? There's a hope. Not only a hope for beyond the grave. For the beyond the day that we die. But there's also a hope for us in this life. Am I not am I right? And it comes by Christ. Our hope is in Him. Our hope of glory one day is in Him. But it's not limited to after we die. We can actually have some kind of glory in this life. Am I right? So um so you might recall this expression, and it says. You got saved, you're getting saved, and one day you will be saved. Really? 
Some might think, but I got saved, I'm saved. Well, yes and no. Yes, you got saved if you happen to be hanging on the cross next to Jesus and you accept him for who he is and you see him for who he is and he promises you paradise in the moment. You just got saved and you escaped the flames. Okay? But what if you didn't, what if you're not hanging on the cross? You've got life to live. There's a whole lot of things in the Bible that talks about how we should live. So there's this process, and it's a big fancy word which loves to throw people into a, like, oh, it's called sanctification, which really just means becoming holy. Why? So that one day when you stand before the Father, guilty, guilty, say, I'm guilty, every one of us, we are guilty, we saved from his wrath because of the blood of Christ. See, we deserve God's judgment. We deserve his wrath. See, if you ever go to court, if you ever caught out for doing something wrong and you go to court and the judge finds you guilty, right? The evidence is there, the camera, the witnesses, your fingerprints. What's he going to do? He's going to punish you. So when we stand before God, it's the same thing. We should be punished. But it's the blood of Jesus that protects us. It's like a buffer. It's like God sees you through his son. And what does he see in his son? Righteous. What does he see in his son? Holy. And he sees you through his son. So coming back to that expression, you got saved. Well, what does that mean? At some point, most of us in this room got saved sometime, didn't we? We recognized that we were a sinner. Hopefully, we repented and we accept Christ as our Savior. Happened sometime, it should have happened sometime in your life. But the journey didn't start there and end there. No, the journey started there. Because where it says then you're getting saved, that's the process of... Becoming more Christ-like. And then number three, you get saved. It's when you stand before God and Jesus says, in the Lamb's book of life, there's your name. Come, Share in the goodness of heaven with me forever. So do you... S <clears throat> okay. Just like the Father, the Son, and the Spirit... Are one. Got saved, getting saved, so you can be saved. But isn't it true, though, for some of us who've been around for a while, that putting to death the old nature is just not that simple, is it? It's like that game. I think I've mentioned this before. You know that stupid children's game where you have this board and these heads pop up and the kid has a hammer. Never mind the kid. I've had that hammer. I'm going to sort these heads out. And as they pop up, you, ah, and then another one pops up and, ah, and then another one, ah, I just hit you. Ah, and again, why are you up again? And, yeah, and, you, and do you ever win at the game? Not really. Time's up. Next. Sometimes sin can keep doing the same thing in our lives. Just keeps popping up 
finding us. Do you know why? Because the devil will not leave you alone till the day you die. You are guaranteed to be prowled around, sought around, looking for a weakness, looking for a foot in the door, looking for an opportunity to trip you up, looking for a reason to attract you back into something that you enjoyed before you found Christ. The Bible says he, walk, he prowls around like a roaring lion. Do you know that lions are always hungry? All lions do is feed so that they can have enough energy to go and feed again. So they can go and feed again. This is what the devil does. He will not leave you alone. And can I tell you something else? If you're a Christian, you've got a big target. You can't see it. It's right here. And it's right here. And he's looking for you all the time. Hebrews 12.15 says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Leave it up, Amma. The writer of Hebrews is saying, we are like fertile ground for roots of bitterness to find a home all the time. See, on the day you got saved, you forgave, or you repented, okay? And you forgave. You know that one family member that doesn't deserve forgiveness, or that friend that let you down, or someone that really upset your world, and on that day you got convicted by the Holy Spirit, and so you found the heart to forgive. Roll on two years later, and that person has now come back to do the same thing again. What root finds place in your heart? Can you forgive them again, even though they don't deserve it? Because they won't listen. They won't learn. Marco! Welcome. That root of bitterness can look like many things. Maybe you're ignored in church. Maybe you're not given profile. Maybe you've been disappointed by someone in church or even overlooked. See, the writer of Hebrews is warning us to be ever mindful of making sure that those roots don't find a home in our lives. Because if they do, they'll grow up and cause trouble. For who? For you. It's almost like the very root of sin that we inherited from the fall of man through Adam and Eve remains in us like a magnet ready to draw, to attract sins of bitterness all the time. But God calls us to be holy. Ephesians 4 verse 24. Paul writes and he says, and Put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. 1 Timothy 2.2 says that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. 
1 Corinthians 1.30 says, It's because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. That's just a handful of scriptures. There's a whole lot more that points us to be holy. And I hope while you're listening to me, you can see I'm weighing up one thing against another. I'm pointing to our nature on the one side. I'm balancing it with what God calls us to. So the question then needs to be asked, hmm? how do you know if you're being holy? Or maybe better still, how do you know if you're being unholy? And the only correct measuring stick of holiness is the law. You see, sometimes I think people make the mistake. They got saved. There's a form of repentance. They say the sinner's prayer. And then we want to leave that behind and move on. And I don't understand the gospel like that. Okay? So, proper way to live, this is what I believe, proper way to live this life is on an ongoing basis to compare how you're living against the law. You see, if the law got you saved in the first place, then you want to measure how you are doing against the law. So let's look at it briefly. I'm not going to go there in Exodus, but I'm going to I'm going to read them out to you. The law started with Moses. Two tablets written by the finger of God. The first law, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. How's your movie time? How's your sports time? How's your work time? Number two, you shall not worship idols. How's your Max Verstappen? Formula One hero. Soccer players, tennis players, rugby players. How are your heroes? You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. Now when Jesus was asked by the Pharisees which is the greatest commandment, he covered the first four of the Ten Commandments. Those four. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then the other six. Honor your father and mother. Do not commit murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie and do not covet. And then Jesus went on to say to the Pharisee, love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Now, did you ever consider, remember the Ark of the Covenant? Moses was given instructions to build a wooden box. That's all it was. A wooden box with handles and cherubim. Just a wooden box. And what was in the box? The Ten Commandments. Did you ever stop to think that the presence of God 
followed that box around. Like the power of God was in the power of the Ten Commandments. The power of the law was manifested through the presence of God. When David went to fetch it from the Philistines and bring it back to Jerusalem, you know the story, and they got, it was on a cart and the oxen stumbled and then one of the guys reached out to stop, to stop the ark from falling off the um, cart and God struck him dead. And David was like, <gasps> left the ark at Obed's house. And the Bible says that Obed and his entire household got uh, blessed because the ark was there. Three months. And then David went to fetch it. It was just a wooden box with two stone tablets in it. But God's presence went with it. I think we underestimate the power of the law in our lives on an ongoing basis. So if we take this one step further, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing circles here, so I'm going to come back and come back and come back. It's quite scary this, that believers and non-believers who think they are believers, coexist. You know, if you're a goat living in a flock of sheep, and you only see sheep, and you don't have a mirror, you think you're a sheep. Because you're going to go with them, you're going to eat with them, you're going to, you might even sound like them, but you're going to be convinced that you're a sheep. But what are you? Actually a goat. And this fact is displayed in many parables. Matthew 13, 25 talks about the weeds being, the wheat being sown. And what does the enemy do? He comes along and he sows weeds amongst the wheat. And then the workers say, well, let's remove. No, no, just leave them. They can grow together, wheat and weeds. But when we harvest, we pull out the weeds. The story about the wise virgins and the foolish virgins, five of them thought they had it together. They had a lamp. No waiting. And what happened? The bridegroom came. And they missed the boat. The Bible talks about a net being cast into the sea. And all kinds of fish being caught. And the good ones kept the bad ones. Do you think the bad fish knew they were bad fish? No. Only when they got cast out. So if this doesn't strike a chord, we speak about evangelism, if this doesn't strike a chord in you, like on that judgment day, if you really are concerned, will you want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'm in. I do. Because if you don't want to know that, then you don't need to be here. There's no reason to be here. So the question again I'm going to ask you is, how do you know? And the famous quote I mentioned on Tuesday, D.L. Moody said, the law the law can chase a man to Calvary no further. And while some of us see that we're inherently unholy and unpleasing to God, and we see the glory of the cross, so we see the mess of our lives and we see the glory of the cross, but we don't leave that and we don't really go there. We see it. But we get to this, well, I don't want to be like that anymore. But I don't know if I want to embrace that. Looks difficult. Looks too demanding. I've got to lay down. I've got to give up. I don't really want to. So we live in this no man's land. Not quite leaving, but not embracing. 
And I think God is talking to those kinds of people. And so what happens is people take on Christ as an insurance policy. Kind of hoping that on judgment day, I just hope he mentions my name. How risky is that? You heard the expression, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. So we're brought to realize that we need a savior, but we don't properly let go of the old. But if the law does its job properly, thoroughly convicting you that you're a sinner and that you deserve the wrath of God as punishment, only then does true repentance take place. And there's two things necessary. One is recognizing first that you're a sinner and secondly is repenting. And repenting is not just, I'm sorry, until I do it again. Okay, I'm sorry. I'll do it again. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, Lord. You just made me like this. I'm just going to carry on. I'm sorry, Lord. You know, I'm like, like, that's who you made me. I'm just, that's the way I am. No, no, no. Repentance is, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. What can I put in place so that I don't do it again? Otherwise, you, otherwise you, it's like dabbling in, oh, Lord, I'm back in it again. I'm so sorry. I'm coming. Oh, I'm back in it again. I'm so sorry. Oh, I'll be there tomorrow. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, there I do it again. No, 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 no. God says repentance is what can you put in place? What do you need to gouge out? What do you need to cut off? What do you need to turn away from? What must you delete on your phone? What do you, what, what do you need to do to say, Lord, I'm so into you that I'm going to do whatever it takes to cut off? Otherwise, that never happens. And he'll say to you on that day, I do not know you. Forget the people that were prophesying and casting out demons and are healing the sick. You. When did you walk away from that? Oh, but it was too hard. God's not listening. Andrew said a couple of times this year, and I'm going to keep saying it, as soon as you stop repenting, you're going to die. Repentance is a stepping stone to life in Christ. And it's not something that we can do once. Why? Because our hearts are fertile to allow roots of bitterness, roots of sin, roots of an ugliness that's unpleasing God to God to find their way into our lives. So let's go back to the law. So ask, I want to ask you some questions. Well, you answer. Don't answer them to me. If you were a liar once, oh Lord, I'm sorry I was a liar. I'm a liar. How are you now? You're still cheating on your tax return. You still avoid whatever you can avoid. You've got to measure yourself today because he forgave you then. What have you done today? If you're a thief once, oh Lord, I am a thief. I stole and I did and I, how are you doing now? Do you watch movies on the internet through paid subscriptions like Netflix and Showmax? And do you pay your subscription or do you borrow a friend's code? Or go through some of those dodgy sites. I've been through them. Where all that nonsense comes up, but you finally get to the movie and you don't have to pay for it. That's stealing. How are you doing on the topic of murder? Murder. 
None of us are murderers, I hope. Well, what did Jesus say in Matthew 5, 21? You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I told you that anyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Lord, forgive me, I'm a murderer. Claiming to be a believer, but you're being deceived, and you're even being deceived into thinking that you're one, but your actions show the opposite. Surely this must show that the law has not done its work. It's failed to convince you that you're a sinner. On track for God's wrath on judgment day. Romans 6 verse 1 says, Paul writes and he says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means we die to sin. How can we live in it any longer? The law is a constant measure, constantly keeping us in line. You know, a sheepdog, sheepdog keeps the sheep in the right direction. If you've ever watched a sheepdog running behind a bunch of sheep, as soon as the sheep start to meander that way, that dog is so quick, and, that, and then he, and he keeps them, and he can, and you know, you can have a massive field like that, and one little gate right at the end, a sheepdog, good sheepdog will get them. Through that gate. It's amazing to see. The law is supposed to do the same thing to us. It's supposed to keep us on track. Reminding us of the filth. That our lives may not be so bad today. But they once were. But are you constantly aware that what you were is constantly looking to draw you back into what you were. And it's the law that holds us to account to do that. Let me throw you a curveball. Social media. <laughs> I'm not talking about watching social media. I'm talking about what do you post on social media? Is the content of what you post godly or godless? Can people look at what you write and the pictures that you post, the photos that you post? Do they show you as a godly person? Or would someone look at it and go, wow, this person needs to go to church. You, 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 measure, you need to measure yourself. You see that person inside is reflected by what we display outside. It's uncanny, isn't it? I sometimes wonder if God gave the law to Moses, not as a standard that we should live by, but as a standard for ourselves to measure ourselves against. Understand that. He did give it to the Israelites to create a guideline. But I think God foreknew they can't keep it. So instead of it becoming something that we strive to do, it's something to compare ourselves against. Why? It points us to God. It points us to Jesus. It points to our need for Him. Lindsay said to me, it's the frequency of of your falling short, that should be less and less. Not the absence of falling short, the frequency. 
And I know, I'm no fool, we will not escape the wrath of sin in this life or the curse of sin in this life. We will not. But it's like a healthy person doesn't need a doctor. It's almost like God deliberately allows some remnant, some residue of sin in our lives to keep us what? Hungry for Him. Keep us thirsty for Him. To remind us, Lord, I need you. Lord, and that should be a prayer that we're praying all the time. Lord, I need you. And I, I, I do, like, sometimes we, our prayers are just full of, Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. And there's, a, there's, a, there's a, almost an element of, like, I've arrived. Thank you, Lord, that you just blessed me. Thank you that you love me. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your mercy. And I don't say it's wrong to pray these things. Don't misunderstand me. But are we so veneered to who we are that we're just like, oh, Lord, you're so beautiful. I just thank you for what you've done and what have you. And I wonder, if not, sometimes we should be going, oh, Lord, I know I'm carrying this in my heart. Will you forgive me? Oh, Lord, I thank you for your mercy, but I need you to be merciful to me again today because I, I blew it yesterday. And I, I don't want to blow it again today, Lord. Help me when I'm in the traffic and the taxi cuts me off not to shout, Raka. Because I do. Man. And so this delicate balance exists. We should become the way we want to live. But measuring ourselves against the things that we're trying to escape from. And God gives us the ability to do that. We should always be reaching out for Him. Clawing our way to the cross. Striving to be Christ-like. But not unaware or ignorant of where we've come from. And you know, the law is not limited to the Ten Commandments. Jesus said in John 14, 15, He said, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. And let me remind you, in Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said, do you not think, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not. I've not come to abolish them. I've come to fulfill them. I've come to make them complete. The law brings us to repentance, but we don't repent to the law. We repent to God. And then from there, we turn to the cross. And then Jesus completes the circle by taking us back to the law. You see, repentance brings us to the cross, and then Jesus says, from the cross, I'll go back and obey my commands. So that I can stay with a heart of repentance to seek the cross. And Jesus said, and don't forget what I've commanded you to do. Do you see the circle? That's how we should live. Galatians 5.19, Paul writes and says, the act of the sinful nature, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. And you've heard these before. Sexual immorality. Sexual immorality, including adultery, including porn. 
including all the things that go with sexual immorality, impurity, impure thoughts, debauchery, idolatry. What do you put first? Witchcraft. Hatred. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions between you, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. He says, I warn you as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom. Paul lists a similar list in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. And he says, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Paul is writing to believers. He's not writing to non-believers. He's writing to Christians. These are Christians in church he's writing to. So we've got to be very careful about sitting back smugly and going, well, you know, these people are bad. It's a warning. It's a warning. We've got to look in the mirror. Are you a drunkard on a Friday night and a holy of holies on a Sunday? I was once. I know what it's like. It's not hard. So let me be absolutely clear again. We do not live by the law and earn our way into heaven. Can we settle that? But we need to compare our lives against the law to see that if we live by grace, we'll satisfy the requirements of the law. 1 Thessalonians 3.13 says, and this is Paul, and he says this over and over and over again. He says, may God strengthen your hearts so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. All the letters in the New Testament are peppered with encouragement like that. To stand and be holy. In the book of Revelation, Jesus tells John to write to the churches. And you know those stories. And he's warning them. You're slipping from your holiness back to your sinfulness. Make right. Blow you out. Remove your lampstand. We should never be satisfied in our relationship with Jesus our King. Enough should never be enough. We should always be striving for more. So I want to ask you this. When you come on Sunday and you hear a message like today, if you take something home with you, one line, one word, one scripture, and own it, Or do you get to Tuesday and you can't remember what the message was about? So I'll just come back next week and get tickled by another good message. Another, wow, that was amazing, Leroy. That was amazing, Pierre. That was amazing, whoever. Wednesday. Yeah, let's talk about Sunday's message. Uh, what was it again? See, if we don't embrace what we're being taught, and we don't allow it to shape us, to challenge us, to mold us, to look at ourselves in the mirror. If we don't allow what's preached and taught to do that, I would say, don't come to church. No point. Because you're not becoming Christ-like. You're just coming to the club. And that's not going to benefit you in any way whatsoever. It's not going to benefit you. It has nothing to do with me. It's about you. The 
Bible talks about regeneration. You take something that's broken and it gets fixed. Take something that's degenerate. In other words, it's bad and it's going from bad to worse. It's the bottom of the barrel and now it's trying to dig through the bottom to get deeper. That's degenerate. But the Bible talks about regenerate. No. Making better, making holy, improving, growing. To what? Christ-like. That's what we want to be. So coming into land, I'm going to land this now. <laughs> personal, quick personal testimony. And I, I've probably shared this before. You know, my biggest strength is my biggest weakness. I'm by nature an impatient person. I'm one of those people that the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Don't get in my way. I'm going from A to B in the shortest time, quickest time, and may there be no obstacles. Right? And you know what that does? It allows me to be efficient. As a builder, I never, in 20 years, I never finished a job late, ever. I beat the clock every single time. Okay? But I was clever. I knew if the job was eight weeks, I would sign contract for 10 weeks. So I had a bit of a buffer because stuff goes wrong. But by week seven, I'm already tidying up. Okay? Under promise, over deliver. But I did that because I was impatient. Got things done. So my impatience is a great asset because I'm effective. But it's my biggest weakness. I don't suffer fools. I have to show my son grace. He's 20. He's very clever. I love him to bits. But he's not worldly wise yet. But he thinks he is. But he's not. So sometimes he asks me the stupidest question. And I respond in the poorest way. Because I'm like, did you just hear what you asked? That is the dumbest thing a 20-year-old can ever ask. Pray for me and pray for him. He needs to show me grace and I need to repent. Because I, I'm like, don't you get this? My, my impatience gets me in the traffic. Raka. And it's not godly. See, God's slow to anger. Abounding in love. Who am I to be impatient with the world around me when God's patient with me? Huh? Huh? Who, who, do I, who do I think I am? Who do I think I am to be impatient with anyone? God, forgive me. So I'd ask you today, where do you stand against the Lord? The law didn't get buried the day you got saved. The law is a measuring stick. It's a plumb line to look at. And ask yourself, how am I doing against that? What does God see when he sees in me? Because maybe, just maybe, the blood of Jesus won't be there to cover you on that day. Because he's already left the room. Just like the church where he said, you look warm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Because you haven't embraced. And I don't... 
close your eyes. Father God, I, I really do hope and pray, Lord, that this is not a, a burden of punishment that I'm preaching, Lord. Lord, even this morning as I was praying for today, I was going to offer a disclaimer at the beginning of the preach. And I felt you say to me, Lord, please don't make an excuse for what my word says. Say what it says. And I want to say things right now like, oh Lord, please don't let this be a heavy. Oh Lord, please don't let this be oppressive. Please don't let this be burdensome. But Father God, if we look at the wrath that you will pour out on the day of judgment, there's nothing more burdensome than that. Than people thinking that they're going to heaven and they're not. So Father, I would rather we burden this side of eternity eternity, than separated from you forever. Because I'm trusting, Lord, that everyone in this room today actually wants to know you, actually wants to be close to you, actually wants to reflect more of the goodness of who you are to the world around us, Lord. But I'm asking, Lord, that if any of us here today should look at the law and say, no, I do fall short, not to earn your favor, Lord, but to ask your forgiveness. I ask, Lord, that they would stand up, Lord, not even if it's not physically, Lord, that they would stand up in the spirit realm and say, yes, Lord, that's me. I need you to forgive me, Lord, because I've not made as much effort as I can to walk away from, to turn away from, and to embrace more of you. So, Lord, I would ask, Lord, that we would, yeah, that we would stand today spiritually or physically, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that those of us that are standing, Lord, would, would do business with you this afternoon. I pray, Lord, that we would seek your face. Say, Lord, yes, I compare myself to your law and I fall short. So, Lord, would you forgive me?